Good morning, everybody. This is Beatle Matters, Guard Radio 97.3 FM in the great state of Seattle. It's great to have all you guys here on the show again. Uh, we've got our good friends and sponsors back from Seatown uh, Electric Plumbing, Heating, and Air. And uh, we're going to be talking, you know, we're going into the fall here up in the Seattle area. And uh, we're going to be talking about your furnace today, and which is important, and getting maintenance done on that. Because what you don't want to have happen is uh, when it's getting very cold in November, December, January, and February, having that thing break down. And now you're going to have to sit there for several hours before Seatown comes out and fixes it. So it's a good time to get it done now and uh, get it maintained. We'll discuss that later, later on the show. Uh, we're also going to be talking about electric, uh, electrical service type topics and questions. You know, common service calls. Uh, we're talking about home standby generators because that's another thing. You know, we get three or four blowers in the Seattle area and the power goes out. And I love the home standby generators too. So we'll discuss those as well. But we're going to start the show off. We got the new fellow on the show. His name is Andy Carpenter. Uh, it's good to have you on the show, Andy. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad you're here, man. And you're, uh, I have your title as HVAC field supervisor. Is that, is that, that correct? That is correct. Awesome. So, well, since you're new on the show, we haven't heard from you before, the listeners, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background and why, why you came to Seatown. Okay. Uh, well, I've been the HVAC industry for about 10 years now. Um, I started out as just an apprenticeship, kind of young and not sure what I really wanted to do and looking for a career. And I had a buddy of mine that worked at an HVAC company and I was like, well, uh, I don't know what to do. So let's do this. So oh, he graduated, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I got hired on. Um, again, I think in the beginning it was just kind of a, do I really want to do this? I don't know if I really like the cold crawl spaces, the hot attics. Yeah. Uh, ended up turning into something that I picked up really quickly and was good at and started to really enjoy the people I worked with around all that kind of stuff and stuck with it. Um, then a couple years ago, I've been with Seatown for a couple years now, uh, I ended up seeing their trucks everywhere. The orange logo, you can't miss it. Yeah. <laughs> I a little Jetson guy on there. I yep, love that. You can miss the logo or anything like it. And, uh, I'd heard, you know, it's a big industry, but small at the same time when it comes to installers. So I'd heard a couple of people go over there. Yeah. So I was like, why the heck not? I'm going to give them a call. Ended up calling, talking to the general manager, Cody Martin for HVAC, and was just like, why not? Let's sit down. So we ended up sitting down and I just got a really good vibe from the way it was and different things I heard, saw. They invited me into like one of their meetings before they had even like hired me on and we're like, just come see what we do in a meeting. Oh, well, you, you got in the inner sanctum before you get hired. I did, but I got lucky too, because it was uh, one of the days that they cooked breakfast for everybody. So I got free breakfast too. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I, I got treated pretty well. So I think they did that on purpose potentially. So, but yeah, I ended up getting in really loving the guys and seeing the potential growth at the company. When I started, it was, I think in the install department, just for the HVAC side, I was the fifth installer wow so now we're at i think it's a total of 12 to 14 guys right now yeah, so it's kinda towards not the beginning i would say but towards the early stages of it and seeing yeah. the growth opportunity was just exactly what i wanted and it was a young group of guys and 
I fit fit right in. So been here ever since. That's cool. So uh, yeah, so yeah, you uh, so you, do you work for Cody now, or is Cody kind of your counterpart? Cody is my boss. Um, yeah. I have there's another counterpartner to me. We kind of work side by side, dealing with 14 guys. Uh, you know, just leads alone. We're not even including apprentices. Total, we're probably 30, 35 guys. And so managing that as one is difficult. So you split it up in two. So I have a counterpart, Justin. Um, we kind of tag team everything and try to see that everyone's taken care of and needs are met and homeowners are happy. Yeah, well, a big shout out to Cody because he's been on the show a couple times. He's a good guy. Yep. He's like very knowledgeable too. We've, we've gotten yeah. some really good geeky discussions about HP. <laughs> I, can, I can see that for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's all good. Well, good. That's great. Um, well, let's talk about, you know, since you're the HVAC guy and we're in the fall here, I want to talk about furnaces. Let's, you know, there's a, we can get into the furnace inspections and things like that, but I want to start first just with, you know, the basic furnace filter. <clears throat> so just to start with, what, what in a furnace system, like a gas furnace system, what's the basic function of a furnace filter? The furnace filter is, the two main functions I would say for your filtration is one air quality in the home is going to be key. You yeah. don't want to be breathing in debris. You know, we have smoky season, stuff like that. You really don't want to be taking that stuff in. It's not good for health, all that kind of stuff. Second reason furnaces are not cheap. So you want to protect your investment in that sense. We put filters in to protect the investment of the home. And so it's going to block, you know, as much as it physically can into the furnace from getting in there, dust, dirt, debris, anything like that. Yeah. You know, that's yeah, that so true, Andy. I, um, the whole deal with IAQ has been around for years and years now, especially around all over the country, especially in the Pacific Northwest. You have all these homes that we close them up airtight. And, yeah. You know, now... If you don't, if you don't uh, get that out, especially, you know, I was thinking like, and a lot of people have pets and things like that. And then you have pet dander and you got all that stuff running around through the air that you got to catch somewhere, right? Otherwise it shoots back out and people just breathe it in, which is. Yeah, no, 100%, especially with pets too. I mean, a lot of people have pets in the home and allergies is, is no joke nowadays. It seems like it really is. 50% of people have it, it seems. So making sure you're keeping that stuff out of the air and you want to be able to come home and breathe normal and not sneeze everywhere you go. So exactly. it's pretty crucial. <laughs> uh, that's, that's very true. So where are these filters located on the furnace? Because maybe some people, they've never really looked at that and they don't know. Yeah. So typically there's going to be, I would say, three locations that your furnace or your furnace filter can be. Yeah. It's going to be on one side or the other of the furnace, on top or bottom, maybe even the side of the furnace. And it's typically a four to five inch box um that has a door on it that is one area of location for your filter sometimes it is inside of the furnace um we don't really like those because it's a little bit of a hindrance for a homeowner to open up the filter door or open up the furnace door get into something that has electronics stuff like that something that could be technically uh electronically charged which you don't really want to be putting your hands in and then also the other location that we're seeing in a little bit more often is going to be in a return grill. So in your home, you sometimes have something on the ceiling or the floor or the wall that's a big white grill. And sometimes those will have the filters in it due to not wanting to go into your attic or going into your crawl space to change your filter out. And that's just basically connected directly into the ductwork, right? The Correct. In there. Yep. Okay. Now, so what, what are these filters made of? What do they typically 
composed of as far as material content? So typically on a furnace filter, on your basic media filter that you can get from the store is going to be a paper filter. It's the best way to explain it. You're going to see metal grating inside of it. That's basically to hold the paper together and create a honeycomb effect for dandruff and dirt and stuff to get caught in. And then they, the, the ones I've seen too, they have the paper and then they have kind of the metal mesh, right? The, Correct. The yep. structural support of it all. Yeah. So, you know, I always, this thing is, we should discuss because people need to know this, even though a lot of them don't do this. So guys, I want you to listen and uh, don't forget, grab your pen and paper because I'm going to give you their phone number uh, when we get into furnace maintenance for you to come out and uh, have C-Town take care of it. But how often, so you got, you know, homeowners in general, and then you got homeowners with pets, which a lot of, you know, homeowners have dogs and cats and all this kind of stuff. So what is your suggested frequency of changing out these filters, Andy, whether they are non-pet or pet owners? Okay. So with this, you're going to run into a couple different scenarios. There's different sizing of filter, thickness of filter. You have one inch and you're going to see most commonly one and four inch filters. Okay. The one inch filter needs to be changed more frequently. I would say anywhere from 30 to 60 days max. Um, on a four inch filter, you want to change it anywhere from 30 to 60 days max. The best way I describe to my homeowners is when you pull that filter out, theoretically, most filters are going to be white. Right. If you look at it and you are disturbed or disgusted by the look of the filter and you don't want <laughs> to all breathe, dirt on it. <laughs> right. If you don't want to breathe what's on one side of that filter, change that filter. Yeah. Since whatever you see on there is what you're going to be, the leftovers of that is going to be what you're breathing, which. So basically either they look for a door on the furnace itself or they look for a door in the ductwork, typically up in the ceiling, and they can just drop that either door and they can pull the the, the uh, filter out and kind of take a look at it and see if it's dirty. Yep. Just slide it in, slide it out. Do remember on those filters, they are directional. Most of those filters right. have arrows on them. You want that arrow pointed towards your furnace. So let me ask you, what if they point the arrow the wrong way? What happens? Nothing major happens. It's just not doing its proper job. So it's not really actually not catching the stuff that it should catch if you don't get the arrow on the right. right Correct. Way. Is there any other than that? Is there any like, because I've seen you go to big box stores and things like that. They have different density of mesh or paper on there. Does it matter? So MERV rating can be important. So a couple of things I try to look out for on our typical new installs, we're going to install what's called a MERV 13. I would call your MERV 13 rating right in the middle ground, happy medium, not super high, not super low. It's going to catch your typical home contaminants that you're going to get in the air. One of the fears of going higher, so they have 16s, and I believe I've seen a couple MERV 18s out there. We prefer not to put them in the home because, like you said, the density of the internals of the filter is very dense. It can actually be more harmful to your system than it is helpful for the air quality of the home. So MERV 13 is what I always recommend. All right. We come back. uh, I'm going to ask Andy about, I'm going to test him on what MERV is, what that actually stands for, and then talk about the function of a higher density or higher MERV number, what that does as far as how it possibly could damage your furnace system. We go back. This is Pete with Home Matters 97.3 FM. All right, we're back. This is Pete with Home Matters, Car Radio 97.3 FM. We're having a good discussion with, uh, to start with, Andy Carpenter. He is a HVAC 
field supervisor at Seatown Electric Plumbing, Heating, and Air. Guys, uh, these guys, as I, you know, I've had them. Uh, they've been on with me for a few years now. We've done a lot of shows. Uh, I don't have anybody but best of breed companies on here. And because I'm putting my name on this, and if I say, you know, hey, these companies are the companies you want to deal with, they will take care of you. Uh, they do a good job. You've heard all of the different, including uh, the the owner of the company, all the way down. Cody Martin's been on all the different guys, journeyman electricians, journeyman plumbers. They know what the heck they're doing. Uh, Andy Carpenter is another one of these experts in the HVAC field. So what I would suggest, we're going to talk about furnaces and furnace maintenance, and they have a, a partner program too, which I would recommend you get involved in just because it keeps it easy for you, right? And they'll come out, they'll schedule things. I'll talk to Andy kind of how, how that all happens. But you want to give them a call at uh, 360-C-TOWN. So it's S-E-A-T-O-W-N. Or if uh, you're one of these new native digitals, uh, you want to go to ctownservices.com. They have their phone number up there, so you don't have to figure out what number is what for what letter. <laughs> but you can do 360-C-TOWN or go to ctownservices.com. You also, you guys, uh, I know last time I checked, you guys still have your, you can schedule an appointment right there on the website too, right? Yes. Yeah, that's cool. So it makes it simple. They can do that on their phone, on the go, and just have you guys come over. Uh, and again, remember, we're talking about uh, HVAC and furnaces today, but these guys do electrical work. We're going to talk to James Henry. He's coming on. They do plumbing. They do heating. They do air. Um, they do, you guys do sewer. Uh Lines as well. Right. We did a really good show, guys. If you if you want to, that was another one. Uh, which with all the rains, all that stuff's coming too. So if you go up to Sea Town Services, I think up in the menu there's a place where you can find the the old the uh, the home manor shows. And there's one up there about a couple of the guys there uh, in the sewer line, and just a lot of really good information to help educate you before they do come out, so you understand, you know, what's going on. Same thing. Uh, James Henry's been on my show before. Um, these are all good things to get educated uh, prior to having CTEL come out, um, which is important. All right, uh, Andy, I wanted to, because we left that last segment about this MERV thing, which kind of caught my ear. So what what, what the heck does MERV stand for uh, as it relates to that number you were talking about? So MERV stands for Minimum Efficiency Reporting Value which okay. basically simple terms is just how many particles that filter can actually catch. Okay. So higher is more particles, lower is less. Correct. Okay. And then you had said, like when you get up in the higher numbers near 18, it, that might not be a good thing to put in there. Why is that from a furnace standpoint? So what happens with those higher MERV ratings is they're a denser filter to catch more particles. Right. What it creates in that system is just like anything. It needs to take in air and push out air. Right. If you put a denser filter in there, it can actually create a higher pressure inside of that system, which in turn can lead to early part failure, motors, stuff like that that's just getting wear and tear on it way more than it should be. Okay, so basically bottom line is if you get the higher ones, it could possibly shorten the life of your parts. Correct doing that because you're overworking it so okay well that makes sense so and the number you said that you'd recommend is around what 13 merging 
or if they're deep. So, and that's on the box, right? If they go somewhere, they can see that number on the box, right? When they Correct. They typically put it on the box on the side of the filter. It's in multiple locations on those filters. Well, I hope, you know, I, I know you guys are, uh, it sounds like I was talking to you off fire. You guys are, are revamping or updating your, your maintenance programs. Hopefully you guys will have keep it easy for people and uh, they can order through your website. You can just ship them filters. That'd be super cool. Yep. We're getting there. I know you're getting, I know you are, and I know you guys will do it. And you know, that, that just makes it easy for customers. And then, you know, when you, they're doing the, the maintenance program. Now let, I, we can talk about that right now. So you guys have a, a partner program before we go into furnace maintenance. What, what is, what's it called again? And what is that one all about? So we call it the SPP, which stands for C-Town Partner Plan. The, there's a couple pros, mostly all pros for this plan. Um, it gets you in on a couple different random discounts throughout different departments and stuff like that. Um, it also is going to give you that peace of mind that we're going to come out and service your equipment before the craziest times of the year. We have winter coming up. And as everyone in Seattle knows, we just have hot. And then the next day it's freezing cold. And those and snowstorms and windstorms. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and that's when we get when homeowners start ramping their systems up and it hasn't been maintained and it's not ready to really start going. It's like your car in the morning, right when you start it, it doesn't want to move very quick, very far. So you want to give it some time to really be prepared to ramp up and make sure it's ready to go for that time. So basically, if they uh, if they call this go on seatownservices.com and they call your number and they say, I want the C-Town Partner Program, somebody can get them set up pretty easy. And, yep. It takes yeah. only a couple minutes online. If you already have somebody out on site, guys on site can get you set up. Super, okay, that's cool. Super painless. Yeah. Well, you know, I always look at it. We probably all look at it the same way. I mean, we all drive cars. You change your oil on a regular basis. Why wouldn't you take care of these other things? Which furnace, like you said, furnaces aren't cheap. And if you don't take care of them, heat pumps, same thing. You, you don't take care of these devices. They will fail. And uh, People forget place is a lot more expensive than to maintain. Yes, very much so. That's very cool. All right. Okay, so uh, let's talk about furnace now, furnace inspection. So going over to the furnace side, when when uh, what's the typical life of a furnace these days? I know we're kind of in a throwaway society, and you can't really fix these dark things anymore. Yeah. So. so typically we say anywhere from, and I know this is going to be a vast number and I'll kind of explain why I would say 10 to 20 years. The reason I say that is with proper maintenances, you can get a system to last up to 20 years. Right. If proper maintenances are happening, like we said, higher filter ratings or you're not changing the filter. It can cause early damage in those systems for complete failures where there's really no coming back from it. And it's a new new system. Got it. And when you when you're out there, like what are when your guys are out there, you're out there, Andy. What what are some of the common things you're looking for that need to have main, main maintenance on them in a furnace? So there's a couple main key components inside of a furnace that we're looking at. Um, we're looking at sensors. Uh, there's different pressure sensors inside. Uh, we're looking at the flame sensor. So basically, what turns the heat on needs to be nice and clean. Uh, if it's not clean, it will cause issues and not allow that system to turn on whatsoever. Um, and then also every furnace maintenance, we are looking at the filter very heavily. That is a main cause for a lot of failures and issues in systems. So do you see like you're talking about the, the flame, you're talking about the pilot light electrical ignition, right? Correct. Yep. So what I mean, how does that how does that fail? What what happens to it? I mean, you know, you, you look, I was looking like uh, 
electrical switches. We're talking to James about that. They're mechanical, right? So you plug things in and out, eventually they go. So what causes a, a, an electronic ignition to go over time? So typically it's the same thing and it's an electronic component. So you can have electronic issues down the line, corrosion, something like that. But the main thing we see on those sensors is that they just get gunked up and dirty because you imagine you're, you're throwing really high temperatures at them at all times. So it gets yeah. soot and build up on it that then it's not going to be able to actually produce a proper adequate way to fire that system off. So we actually have to take them out and sand them down and clean them. Sometimes it just, they're so, so you can repair them then. Correct. The yes. Okay. Well, it is part of the maintenance that we do. We do pull them out. We make sure that they're nice sanded and clean, nothing on them. We don't want debris on them. Anymore. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What, um, you know, one thing a lot of people have run into and they all think about like, you get, especially because you're saying that people are firing stuff up and getting colder. And furnaces, when they get into frequent cycling, what causes that? Frequent cycling could be a couple different causes. Truly, the main cause filters. Um, okay. The filters, dirt, debris. I mean, just life. It all gets back to changing that darn filter, which we all have to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the easiest thing a homeowner can do on a day to year to year, month to month basis to make sure that that system is doing okay and the best of their ability. Well, Andy, it was great talking with you on these two segments. Um, guys, just uh, get the Seatown Partner Program. They'll come out, they make things easy for you. It's not expensive. And I'll tell you what, it's way less expensive than if you were to have to replace your furnace because you weren't taking care of it. Um, just makes it that easy. With that on Pete, this is Home Matters, Car Radio 97.3. All right, we're back. This is Pete with Home Matters, Car Radio 97.3 FM in the great state of Seattle. We're having a great discussion here with Seatown uh, and all the Seatown guys and gals over there. Um, there's Seatown Electric Plumbing, Heating, and Air. It's a big mouth. But the reason why it is because they pretty much do all that stuff in your home. You don't have to call anybody else. You can uh, give them a call at 360-Seatown. Or um, easiest thing, just, you know, if you're on your phone or whatever, desktop, just go to Seatown Services, it's plural with an app.com. And they have the phone number up there. They have our podcast shows up there. Uh, they have a schedule. You can schedule an appointment right there on your phone, you know, if you're at work or something. And they just make it easy. They'll come out. They'll take care of things uh, in all those different aspects. And in the previous two segments, we talked to Andy Carpenter. All about HVAC, your filters, your furnaces, and things like that. Now, next two segments here, uh, we've got uh, my good friend James Henry. He's back. He's been on the show before, and uh, it's good to see you again, James. Good seeing you as well, Peter. Yeah, it's awesome, man. We're going to talk about. Uh, he's a. Uh, is it? Are you still EL Install Tech? Is that your official? Yeah, yeah. I so say I'm still Service Tech, so I'm still you know selling and doing my own thing and diagnosing stuff and figuring out. That's awesome. Houses. Well, we had a great conversation off air. So, and I tell you what, stay tuned, guys, because in the future, James and I are going to talk about the future of electricity and some of the electronic components and smart things that are coming into your home. And I don't want you to miss that show. Today, we're going to talk about, you know, some of the service call things. We're going to get into whole home generators. But there is a whole movement going on out there that is super cool, guys. And some of these things, just like, you know, we talked in the first two segments about, uh, or the last show I did with these guys about heat pump water heaters and the return on investment on those kinds of things. James has got some things he wants to add to that. We, we won't do that in this show, but in the next show, we're going to do it with him. And uh, 
it's going to be some pretty cool stuff to talk about. I've been doing some research on it too, just because, you know, I like to uh, understand what the latest and greatest in the market is. So, oh, all right, James. So, for what was that? I'll make sure I have my notes for you. <laughs> there you go, man. We'll have to do that before we get out of the air. That'll be good. Okay, let's talk about uh, service calls. I know you do that's kind of what you live and breathe right now. What um, what are some of the common service calls that people would call you for to go out on? Well, right now the uh, the two biggies with every, a lot of people moving away from uh, natural gas ovens, um, and just with all the things that have been going on with that, um, yeah. it's getting new oven circuits really, and then uh, electric vehicle uh, estimates to say those are the the two biggies for service calls and everything. But uh, you know, say Besides from coming in and giving estimates and trying to see what we can do to resolve an issue for a customer, uh, you know, there's the diagnostic calls of, okay, what's what's going on with the mystery here? Let's figure this out. Um, and then, you know, there's other things like generator maintenances and um, say, besides that, those are really the two biggies. I say. Well, let, let's let's take the first one. So if they're they're converting over from gas to electric, which is kind of the trend these days, and mm. and some some quasi legislation around that. Um, what, so what, what is the load like when you're, you're talking about a, an oven or a, you know, stove like that for an appliance, what kind of load is that pulling? So an oven at minimum. Um, so when we go through, whenever we're adding in a larger circuit, we go through and do what's called load calculation. So okay. as we're going through, we take a look and see uh, the square footage of the home, see what appliances are, are in place right now, see what the heating looks like. And then we go through and do a whole complicated math formula. Just to basically, okay, this is what we're looking at right now. We're gonna add in our oven circuit. This is what this will be. And then we can say, hey, um, we're gonna be over your total allowed of ampacity. So if it's a 200 amp home and they're at 220 amps out of 200, can't do it. Say, we gotta figure out something else at that point or make yeah. something else happen. Um, but typically for like an oven, minimum is like 8,000 kilowatts or 8,000, yeah, say 8,000 watts. So it's eight kilowatts and it's a pull yeah, on. Eight kilowatts. Okay. So okay, so when you're when you're adding that in, so are you doing all this load calculation? Are you doing on site right there with the customer and you're showing them? Yeah, yeah. That's as always my things. I let everybody know, like, hey, this will keep the inspector happy. This will make sure that we're, you know, legally doing this and making sure that's all correctly. We're not going to cause any issues with your panel either tripping or catching fire or anything crazy like that. Um, you know, we try to just make sure it's all set up. So we just do it all right there on site, and we have a little little sheet that we fill out on our iPads and. Go from there at that point. You show it to them. So in the so and you're saying most of the the panels nowadays in homes are 200 amp, correct? Yeah, most standard are 200 ohms. If um if you get into like a townhouse or a condo though, those guys are typically set up to 100 amps or 125 amps. Yeah. Um, so just a little bit of the downside to that is the builders will build out those homes, set them to the bare minimum, and then might be able to add on some larger things down the road. But um, presents just a couple of roadblocks that we can usually figure out a solution for at that point. So let's go back to kind of a residential home. Mm. So if they got a 200 amp panel and now you're going to put a eight kilowatt load on that thing with this, this stove or oven or whatever, um, and you got that circuit going into the, the panel, what can you do? Do they get a bigger panel? So they go up to the next bump up on the amperage on the panel or what do you do there? Also, that's uh, part of our process of going out and doing estimates to see what the full situation is and doing the load calculations, um, making sure that there's enough spaces in the panel, uh, make sure it's not a recall panel so that way, you know, 
sound when you say, sorry to interrupt, but because yeah. you got a good point. When you say spaces, you're talking about breakers, right? The number. Yeah. So yeah, the actual like physical spaces in the panel, um, and then just the actual amount of energy that's available too. So that's part of us being out there and, and doing that calculation. So just making sure that all the pieces can come together and actually work for the project, because um, there's been times where we've, you know, where we've come behind other other places that have done work that was illegal and. You know, got to yeah. bring the customer of like, hey, well, so. and you got to tell them. I mean, if you're going over the 200 amps, they need a panel upgrade, and there's cost of that too, right? Mm, yeah. So, you know, the funny thing is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I was doing a little research on this, James, and actually, I did not realize this, but it, it goes across the whole country. But on the West Coast region, which obviously includes us guys in Seattle, mm -hmm. we're saying that almost 45% of electrical panels don't have any extra spots for breakers. Is that I'm, I'm not surprised by that, actually, just for the amount of homes I go into every day. Um, the standard, just to kind of take you through the history of it real briefly, um, 20 spaces was really like the common max number, which for right. what the requirements were for circuits and all the things. 20 spaces was perfect. You were living good with 20 spaces, but then, you know, it was, okay, 24 spaces. And start creeping up, yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, now that we have more requirements and more energy, um, like code-related things, now the standard spacing that you will see um, on a, a good sized panel will be 40 to 42 spaces. Um, if you get a panel replacement and it's only 20 spaces or 30 spaces, um, your contract- You can expand it, it's harder to expand, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're kind of set up for failure by that point by your electrician if you're not getting yeah. 40 spaces. Yeah. But, and then now the other one you said is most popular. So let's say I got a Tesla and I want to get EV charging at home. But now, what kind of load does that draw, and how do you set that up within the home so I have that for me? So those guys are about 7.6 kilowatts, so okay. 7,600. Similar, about 8 kilowatt then. So so if those guys are a plug-in, it's it's 7.6 is what that guy pulls. Um, if you're doing a hard wire, then the standard typically is 60 amps, so doing the math in my head here for a moment. Um, it's about 10,000 kilowatt basically is if it's a hard wire at the smallest rating. Um, there's a lot of, uh, interchangeability though with the EV chargers now where you can set it to really low, you can go really high. So there's uh, a lot of moving parts to it now. So I just want to make sure too, so people understand this just because I think it's important. So mm -hmm. you're speaking cause we're throwing around this term kilowatts and people are probably going, what the heck is a kilowatt? So a yeah. watt is what volts times amps, right? Yep. Okay. So we're we're looking at eight kilowatts. That's eight thousand watts. So mm -hmm. to determine, you know, the equation on that, if you're determining what the average is on that, so it's what is it a one ten on volts? I uh, say so it'd be two forty volts, and then times your so yeah. So if you have a seven point six, um, that's thirty two amps basically for two forty volts. Okay. So you're looking at between thirty two and forty amp on a on a load draw. That's the current draw. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and say if you're doing a hardware, if you're doing like supercharger, you can go all the way up to 100 amps, but yeah. um, realistically, most people's houses don't support that. Okay. So, you know, all the things with that. Yeah. Now, the other thing I want to, so thank you for that. I appreciate that. that is, that's uh, just basically Ohm's law, both time amps and watts. So, mm -hmm. But you can, I just wanted to give you guys an understanding of like what kind of current draws. It's not just the volts, it's the amps that they're, that James is talking about here which is important. Um, I also want to ask you, um, I've heard the term circuit splitter and circuit pauser. 
thrown around quite a bit. Can you explain what those are and the differences to our listening audience? So as I imagine you're speaking about a load shed. Yep. Yep. Okay. So the load shed. Well, uh, first of all, let's let's talk about what is a load shed. So the other side. So yeah. So a load shed is a piece of equipment that basically reads in real time what your panel is drawing in regards to total energy capacity. Um, When it detects that the panel is at maximum capacity above 90%, shuts off that circuit that it's it's protecting, basically. Load sheds. It sheds it off, basically. Um, So when you get to that point, sheds it off, waits 15 minutes, and then double checks the panel. Hey, okay, we're good to go. Let's put this on there. So that's kind of Okay, so that's a circuit pauser, right? On the load shed. Yeah, so that's that load shed. So That's the pauser. So, but what is it? From a safety standpoint, is that prevented from overheating and fire, or what? Why would they do a circuit pause? So part of that is to legally uh, add into that uh, circuit. So okay. basically, if you have a load shed, you can take it out of your load calculation. It doesn't exist. It's not okay. a part of it anymore. So then you're not worrying about tripping your panel or causing any sort of like crazy issues of overheating or you know stressing it out and causing okay. a fire ultimately. So is that is that partly a solution? Can you come in at T Town? And do like a circuit pause or if they're kind of running up near the, the head range of their 200 amp panel. Yeah. And say we find that most often, honestly, with the uh, condos and townhouses, actually, where, where okay. that's really So that's where it really comes in handy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Well, we got we to gotta cut for a break here. We come back. Yeah. I'm going to talk about, uh, I, I want to get an answer from James on these circuit splitters, too. Just so you guys understand what these are. And that is an alternative to just upgrading your panel. You could do something like that as a strategy. Um, and then we can, you know, I'm going to ask James, is that really save you money or not save you money versus just upgrading the panel? So I come back with that. I'm Pete. This is Home Matters, Car Radio 97.3. This is Pete with Home Matters, Car Radio 97.3 FM. We're having a great discussion here with uh, James Henry. He's been on the show before. Guys, if you want to, uh, look at all the different shows we've done with Seatown. You can go to their website at seatownservices.com. Uh, we've done shows like with James uh, around the electrical. We've done plumbing. We've done heating. We've done air. And they also do, they have, they have some very knowledgeable guys on uh, sewer. Uh, you know, sewers fail and things like that. And that's one of those things where I go find that because, you know, it's going to get rainy this winter and some of you guys are going to have failed sewer lines. And you should listen to that show to get educated because it's, it, you know, that's not a cheap repair, but it's good to learn. And that show I went into in big detail with those guys, and they're very knowledgeable at Seatown about what they do, just like James is with uh, electrical work. So um, you want to go to SeatownServices.com. If you uh, need to, I would highly advise, make sure uh, you get that on your list this week to give these guys a call just to get on their furnace, the furnace maintenance, because I'll tell you what, you're going to kick yourself in December if your furnace goes down. Now you're sitting in your cold house, <laughs> you know, what everybody else would call it. Now's a good time to do it um, before the rush happens. And just get it maintained. And then, you know, if you get on the Seatown Partner Program, you know, that's, those are kinds of things I love because you don't have to think about it. They, they'll call you. They set it up. They come out. They, they do all the stuff for you. And it's really not that expensive. So, you know, I just say, why not do that? You, you know, you go get your oil change in your car. You got to take care of these different things in your home too on a regular basis. All right, James. Um, so we were back. Uh, we were talking about, um, we got into a discussion about 
you know, all these different loads with the new electrical devices that are coming in the home and all that that's happening, which yeah. is cool. And then I asked you kind of, I threw in the, you know, the circuit pauser, which you handled beautifully because, you know, I wanted to just make sure people understand the circuit pauser is an alternative just to getting a whole panel upgrade, correct? Yeah, and especially for uh, some situations where they can't actually do a service upgrade, like uh, time right. on condos, it's a little bit tougher to do that because you got to get everybody. That's a shared wall and all that kind of stuff, yep. yep. So that's a good thing. Now, the other one that I brought up uh, in the last segment was a circuit splitter. So how is a circuit splitter different from a circuit pauser? So we've actually, um, it's relatively new technology and it's primarily in commercial, but um, so we've been looking into it in residential spaces because yeah. there's plenty of people that want to get multiple uh, car chargers that or get multiple cars that are electric, yeah. but you know, don't have the space or power to do multiple circuits. Um, basically it's a load management system is what's called yeah. that circuit splitter basically reads when the one is plugged in, says, okay, hey, you get full power. Second one gets plugged in cool, we're going to split the energy or we're going to wait until this one's completely full and then we'll start charging this one. And are, are, so is the circuit splitters, are they intelligent where they can they can automate, it's all automated and they yep. do that? Yep, so the load management system and then the load shed, I know they're very similar in, in how they sound for names. Yep. They uh, they do everything by themselves. They don't have to worry about anything. It's all just... So once it's all, it's kind of a, you know, set it up and forget it, really. Just yeah. exactly. set it up and take care of all that. Okay, now the last thing before we get into, because I do want to get into whole home generators, there's another thing that's been fooling around and a lot of people, maybe they've heard the term. If not, guys, I want you to, to learn about this here on Home Matters is because uh, we have electric vehicles and we have solar. And solar is another big thing. So I'll, there's a thing called a meter collar that uh, that's come up. Can you tell us a little bit about what is a meter collar and what is the function of that like in EV and solar? Yeah. So in regards to like the electric meters, so say for your meter box, um, mm -hmm. There's the actual globe itself, which utility comes out, they read it, they've started making them digital. Right. Um, say, depending on how old your service is, sometimes you get to a point where before you can do anything in regards to either replacing your panel or adding in new things, say sometimes you've got to upgrade your service and go through and do that. So part of that is taking off the wall, getting completely brought up the code and everything, regardless of uh, if it's underground or above ground um, right. and just getting all set up. So a lot of times, depending on how old your uh, equipment service is, sometimes you have to get it upgraded to get solar installed. It's the same thing with the panel. If your panel is right. recalled or because I have enough spaces, you got to get that thing replaced at that point. Okay. So, but the function of the meter collar does what in those? Oh, so in regards to the uh, the meter collar itself, so okay. the meter say brings in your power to your home right. and say just that way the utility can actually read it and determine how much energy you're actually using at that point. And say for the collar itself, say on the actual globe, locks in place, keeps it from uh, you know, taking it off or anything, stealing power. Okay, got it. Understood. All right. And one last thing I want to ask you about electricity. So, because I'm, I'm dealing with this thing myself. So, I got a big solar farm at my property here. And then uh, obviously, we got a bunch of, you know, devices and loads and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually thinking about installing a, a data monitoring system on my panel so I can run it off my app and I can see. And I know what has been for load and I know what's been put up onto the grid instead mm. of the utility company telling me, which I don't know if I totally trust those guys. <laughs> so yeah, I've heard what, what's your, what's your, I know I'm sure you hear about this all the time. So what is mm. your thought about, thought about having a data management system on your, your. 
So the ones that I have installed uh, in particular are like HomeSense. So yeah. basically you put the clamps around where your power is coming in from your yeah. utility box, from your meter box, um, and then just plug it into a couple of other things. And basically once it's got power tied in, starts learning which of your circuits are and you can go through and like go into an app and correct it and everything. And you can actually, you can monitor that and correct it. Yeah. Yeah. Is that coming? Is that because I'm going to do it? I, I think so. You guys do that, right? At C-Town? Yeah. So we install home senses in, in the panels and everything because, awesome. you know, come across where, you know, landlords where they don't have like a separate meter for area. They just make things simpler at that point. So they can yeah. see. Plus they, they can run it off a phone app so they can see it at all times and they can monitor. And like you said, mm-hmm. you can actually maximize the efficiency of all the different circuits and loads in your home through that app is my understanding. Yeah, that way you can monitor everything and, and see what all is actually in use at that point. That's pretty cool. And you guys you guys do those. I, I'll tell you what, that's one thing, guys, I'll tell you, I have looked into this with a lot of research. If C-Town does that, because you have, you're clipping stuff on your main main uh, terminals coming in. So I wouldn't suggest you do it on your own. Hire an electrician to do that. But these kinds of systems are awesome. Uh, and they can help manage all your load. Plus, the most important thing is you know exactly if you have solar, what's going up on the grid, you're giving back to the utility, and also all the different loads in your house, and you can maximize the efficiency of that to reduce your electricity bill, which I think is super cool. So, okay, we got a couple minutes left. I do want to touch on home. So mm-hmm. let's talk about home standby generators because that's what you do as opposed to the little portable things that they pull out of the garage and stick in the drive. Yeah. So, yeah. What, so we, why would a, go ahead, why would a person you know, pick a home standby generator? Well, so we, we install both setups and everything, but the standby, the real nice thing about it is that when utility power goes off, it takes about 30 seconds, it's waiting, okay, power's been off, turns on, kicks it over to the generator, tells it, hey, wake up, let's go. Turns on, once utility power is back on though, waits a few minutes, make sure that, you know, it's not going to shut off again and then yeah. it it back over to utilities. So the nice thing is you're not doing anything. It's all done and taken care of. You're just, all you have to worry about is maintaining your generator and do your oil changes and stuff, but. So it's um, an automated yeah. switch over. And then one of the, that, just like with some of the other stuff, there's a, there's an interlock setup and a transfer switch. Mm-hmm. I heard both. So what are the, when do you use one and not the other, I guess? So the interlock kit is supposed to be used with a portable uh, inlet. So for your portable generators, that's just that way you're not back feeding power to the utility right. anybody because um, it's a really big issue in areas like Florida. Uh, but the automatic transfer switch, basically, it reads the power coming in from the utility, goes wait, okay, power's off, and then it tells the generator to kick on and, and switches and swaps. So is in, the, in the automatic transfer, so basically what it's doing is it's phasing the load down from the utility company and phasing up the load on the, the generators. That kind yeah, of as, as soon as it as soon as it hears or, or you know detects that you know okay power's off yeah generator kick on let's go and then switches over automatically you hear a large sound when it, as it's switching between them yeah. and you guys you guys uh, sell and install the generax right yeah so we do generac uh say honestly really they're a small part they've been i mean they own i don't know i think i was telling you off there right last i looked they own 75 or 80 percent of the market been around since 1959 that those things mm-hmm. are they're good so very good to have. Okay, so if someone wants you come out or one of your guys come out and you do all the load calculations and you'll help price out a, a what yeah. you, what you think is an appropriate. Yeah, device. so we basically figured all out what they want and what they need and then what yeah. their gas utility can also cover as well. So that's the load calculation. Yeah. Some people's gas meters aren't big enough to, to handle. Well, James, it. we could go for another hour. I got all kinds of questions to ask you, but man, yeah. it was good having you on the show again. Thanks, man. 
Uh, I was, I was good having you. I say good being back and everything. Yeah. So I appreciate it. Very good. Give you guys a call at 360 C-Town or go to ctownservices.com. Look them up. Good shows there. Also, you can do an appointment there for all of your electric, plumbing, heating, and air needs. And sewer. That's an important one. We'll have a sewer show coming up here next. But that on Pete. This is Home Matters, Car Radio 97.3 FM.